Hey, Tablet Show fans. Richard and I are going to be at the Dev Intersection Conference at the Marriott Grand Lakes in Orlando, Florida, April 13th through 16th. Come see your favorite speakers, Scott Guthrie, Scott Hanselman, John Papa, Billy Hollis, Brian Noyes, Dan Wallin, Todd Anglin, Tim Huckabee, Michelle Bustamante, Miguel Castro, Duval Lowy, Kathleen Dollard, and many more. Go to devintersection.com to register now. You'll save 200 bucks if you register on or before February 24th, $100 if you register between February 25th and March 31st, and you can save an additional 50 bucks by specifying .NET Rocks is how you heard about the conference. More details at devintersection.com. We'll see you in April. The Tablet Show, Episode 127, with guest Greg Shackles. Recorded live Thursday, February 27th, 2014. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Greg Shackles about his experiences building Olo, an online ordering application for tablets that can be embedded into your own retail application. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back. It's the Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard, the .NET Rocks guys on that other show that we do. Yeah, that other show, yes. It's the same show. Hey. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> How are you doing, man? I'm all right. I, I've been... Um, Tweaking and tuning machines, you know, doing my hardware thing and uh, yeah, having a good time doing it. I'm always happy when I'm tinkering with hardware. So let me tell you, it's February 27th, and yep. for the first time in all winter, we haven't had any snow, but guess what's coming Monday? Snow. Freaking snow! <laughs> <laughs> and ice! And snow and ice! I hate snow. Getting a little tired of it, are you? A little tired. I'm waiting for the summer to come. Oh no! Is that the setup? Really? No, I just no. I'm not. I've already done that. I'm, That's a great song. Uh, yeah. I love the video, dude. But it's, it's awesome. so appropriate again. Once yeah. again, I am a seer. No, uh, let's roll the f uh, better know framework. I've got something special today. All right, buddy. What do you got? Top ten NSA pickup lines. <laughs> <laughs> Number ten, baby. Your Verizon phone isn't the only thing I want to tap. Nice. <laughs> Number nine. I was going through your email and noticed you like cats too. <laughs> this is great because I like the, the, the tense. Number eight. We understand you so much better than the guy you're with now. <laughs> we. 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 <laughs> Number seven. Girl. I can't wait to violate your privacy in real life. Nice. That's a little creepy. Six. Hey, I've never met you, and this is crazy, but I stole your number, so answer, baby. <laughs> <laughs> number five. Hey, baby, what are you wearing? Just kidding. I'm watching you. <laughs> Ew. Ew. Creepy. There's a creepy theme here. Number four. I know exactly where you've been all my life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> number three. Hi there, beautiful. 
Can I buy you the drink your last one night stand got you? Nice. Number two, we had you at hello. (laughs) Ooh, that's creepy. And the number one NSA pickup line, girl, you must have fallen from heaven because there is no tracking data to indicate how you arrived at this location. Nice. That's almost like a country song title. Yeah. It's got the right number of words. NSA is country. Girl, you must have fallen from heaven because there's no tracking data to indicate how you arrived at this location. Awesome. NSA pickup lines. And that's, don't ask me for a URL. You can just Google it or Bing it. You can it. find it. You can it's find okay. it. That's it, Richard. No nutritional value whatsoever. <sighs> I don't need to know it, learn it, or love it. Nope. But it was funny. It was funny. So who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 115. That's the one we did with Atlee Hunter when we were at Penn State at the Philly Code Camp. Uh-huh. When he talked about monetization of his mobile apps. Right. This comment comes from Andre Kramer, who says, Awesome show, guys. This one belongs in my favorite episodes list. Monetizing apps isn't an easy task. Our Gmail calendar app for Windows 8, and I wrote about this in another comment, currently has more than 250,000 downloads. Wow. But in terms of revenues, it could have done better. After listening to the show, we discussed some of Atlee's strategies, like asking the user if he likes the app, and then either redirecting him to a rate our app or tell us what we could do better screen. We already had both in place. The question whether or not he'd want to rate it or not was connected to user voice, but we didn't have the question, do you like the app? Mm. As a result, everybody who had issues with our apps decided to rate, which resulted in a low average rating. Ah. Isn't that interesting? Because it's always harder to get people who are happy to to say so. Right. People are unhappy, easy. So just asking that question, do you like this? Simple. So they've actually hurt their product because they encouraged people who weren't happy rather than encouraging people that were happy. That was a great piece of advice from Atlee. Yeah. And then that's exactly what Andre says. The strategy to put a simple, do you like the app question in front of the would you rate our app is just brilliant. Brilliant. Simple, but brilliant. Yeah. Thanks so much again for this awesome episode. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andre. I think Atlee's awesome, too. And a tablet show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com or on any of our mobile apps, because we've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, Android, and iOS. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. If you'd love to build you an app, just go to diatomenterprises.com. And that brings us to our guest. Greg Shackles is a senior software engineer at Olo. He is a Xamarin MVP, host of the Gone Mobile podcast, organizer of the New York City Mobile.net Developers Group, author of Mobile Development with C Sharp, and also the author of a monthly Visual Studio Magazine column. And he's a regular speaker at many user groups and developer events. Outside of technology, Greg is obsessed with heavy metal, baseball, and craft beer, sometimes in combination, and is also an aspiring home brewer. Welcome back, Greg. Thanks, guys. It's awesome to be back on the show. Great to have you back. We heard you've been doing some amazing things lately, and um, we wanted to catch up with you. So, so uh, what you been up to? Ah, well, it's been, I guess it's been a couple of years since I've been on the show, so a lot. Um, <laughs> some of that's in my bio, but I guess, you know, the, the main thing that we wanted to chat about today is kind of what I've been doing uh, at, as part of my day job at Olo. What's Olo? So yeah, just to give a kind of the quick elevator pitch for what we're doing. Um, basically, we're we're an online ordering platform for like bigger, medium to big restaurant chains. So we provide uh, desktop web, mobile web, mobile apps, uh, point of sale integrations, payment, loyalty, 
uh, pretty much all everything across the board to do uh, online ordering for bigger chains. And what we do on top of that is the the user facing pieces of that are all white labeled, so they they have all the branding of whatever chain it's for, and it you don't really know as a user that you're on another service. Uh, so part of that platform, um, and what I've been focusing on a lot for I guess the last half a year or so a year is the the app part of our platform. So we have we have white label apps as part of our offering to all of our clients. And what that is is uh, you know apps for iOS and and Android that are completely white labeled. So they're they're branded, they're colored, they have the images and all mm. of that for all the different brands. But under the hood, it's still running the same engine. Uh, you know that that all the other clients are running, and they're still it's still talking to our API and submitting orders through our through our platform. Now, this isn't point of sale with inside the restaurant. This is for customers, right, or both? Well, part of our platform is the actual point of sale integration. So, from our servers, we'll go we'll go punch the order directly into every restaurant that's receiving the order. Um, but from the app's perspective, you could basically just think of it as, I mean, for the sake of this conversation, because there's way more complexity on the other side than. You know, you could even go through in a show. Uh, for the sake of the the app, you could just think of it as basically just an API, a, a black box API that the the app, a REST API even, uh, that the app can just talk to and, you know, submit orders through. Okay, so it really is for a customer app, not really for a inside the restaurant app, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. this is, uh, you know, if you were going to go to one of our clients, you could download the app from the either Google Play or the iTunes app store and and then you know, log in and place your order and that Got kind it. of thing. Very cool. And this is all done with uh, Xamarin's tools, right? It is now. So it's it's an interesting story. Um, so originally, I, I inherited this platform. Uh, it, it, it existed before I got to the company. And it was originally written in a, a framework called Titanium built by AppCelerator, which is, uh, it's another cross-platform framework that it, it kind of draws the line at a different point than the Xamarin tools do, where they they kind of bleed into the platform APIs a little bit more and try to abstract some of the UI libraries from you. And it's all it's all written in JavaScript, so you write all your apps in JavaScript, which has it has its pros and cons. Um, but after maintaining that for a while, we were we were just having a really hard time. Uh, just getting in the features that we wanted and getting in the the user experience that we wanted. So, like I, I was f- finding that the where where they drew the abstraction line was just um, it didn't really mesh well with the the user experience that I wanted to give. So we we started entertaining the idea of doing a, a full platform rewrite, which you know a, any developer will tell you is not a, a task you kind of undertake lightly. It's yeah, <laughs> you know. Even if even if you don't necessarily like the the platform you're on, a, a rewrite is a, a massive undertaking. Um, but after enough deliberation, we kind of decided that it was it was the right move for where we wanted to take the product. And I mean, obviously, I'm I'm slightly biased because I've I've been in the Xamarin community for a few years now, so I that that's my wheelhouse. That's what I know. Right. Um, but the the truth of the matter is that it really did lend itself perfectly to the problem that we were trying to solve. And we were also, on top of that, we're also a .NET shop. So we have C-sharp developers on the team. Uh, so it, it kind of fits really well there. But even outside of that, the the way that Xamarin approaches uh, drawing the cross-platform divide and code sharing and UIs and that kind of thing uh, really meshes perfectly with what we were trying to achieve. So it, it was a good fit there too. Okay. And you're using uh, MVVM Cross too, I understand, which is um, uh, an amazing tool. Tell me 
what did MVVM Cross give you that just straight, you know, M, uh, MVVM pattern did not with uh, with Xamarin's tools? Because I mean, you get the you get the portable class libraries with Xamarin's tools, and you can certainly do MVVM. Why why go that extra layer? What what does it give you? Right. So it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, I've historically, I've always really personally shied away from a lot of those bigger like frameworks. I've, I, I don't really like frameworks that really put a big abstraction between me and the platform that I'm on. And I've always, I, I kind of I, mistakenly now I can say I lumped MVVM cross in with a lot of those other frameworks that are kind of similar, um, but really try and pull you away from the platform and start abstracting UI and things like that. Mm. So I had, I had actually written it off for six months or so before I even tried it. And I was, when I was er doing the early prototypes of what this, what ended up becoming this new uh, mobile platform that we're talking about, I was, I was finding myself writing a lot of the plumbing code over and over uh, that a framework like MVVM cross would provide. And as I was doing that, I started pulling it out. You start kind of creating your own mini framework. And at a certain point I, I looked at it and realized that I was more or less recreating what, what Stuart had done with MVVM cross. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, at that point I kind of decided, I was like, okay, maybe I should go give this thing another look. And, you know, it, it turned out that it, it, it wasn't really drawing the line where I thought it was drawing the line. So it, it was a pretty big benefit. So give me a real example of, you know, the, the kinds of things that we're talking about. Absolutely. So one of the, the big thing for me is that. So I'm, be it mobile or non-mobile, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of test-driven development and just having having tests around your code and that kind of thing. And mm. I mean, I could I could make a whole episode out of testing. I actually did a talk at Evolve on it last year. Um, but I just to make one quick point on it, like with mobile apps, it's it's a lot more important, I would say, even than than with desktop or web apps or anything, to have a good test harness and sure. test um, the safety net of tests because once you once you deploy your app into the app store, it's just out there and it'll take you a week to get an update into, you know, past Apple. And, you know, and in the meantime, you're going to be getting bad reviews and you don't even necessarily have a guarantee that any user is ever going to update from that bad version that you put in the app right. store. So to me, testability is, you know, first and foremost, like one of the huge concerns I have when approaching mobile development. Mm. Um, and what MVVM, MVVM and MVVM Cross gave me when building this is the ability to put a lot of the behavior of my screens in into, you know, platform agnostic view models. So what what that kind of boils down to is if you imagine um you know without if you take the UI out of a, a particular screen. So let's say in we're a restaurant, we're a, you know, a food ordering platform. So if you the first step is going to be that you have a screen where you say enter a zip code and you do a search for restaurants near you. Uh, if you take that at the view model level, well, then you have you have a string for zip code and you have a list of restaurants in the results. Mm -hmm. And what and what you could do with that, and then you have commands. So right, you, you have, have you know, for... which are, are just actions. So you say, well, I can search by zip code or I can search by the user's current location. And these are all things that you can build up at your view model layer independent of any kind of UI around it. And you could write tests, you can write all of that. And you can actually take it a step further and you could say baked into your view model is going to be certain things like, okay, well, when the user searches for zip codes and it, they tap on a result, then it should go off to the, the restaurant view model. Uh, right. And you can actually write unit tests around all of that as well. So what I was able to do since the flow, 
even though the look and feel of iOS and Android is going to be very different, the, the basic flow through the app is going to be almost identical. So what I was able to do is build up most of that flow without ever spinning up iOS or Android, since I pretty much knew, like I had mapped out how the app was going to flow and tested it and things. And I was able to write a, a majority of the flow of the app without even worrying about iOS or Android right up front. You can just write it all through through unit tests. And then you have the, that safety net as you start building and changing things to, to know that you didn't really break anything off in some corner, right. which saved me a lot of times, so I could say. Yeah. So then, um, and then continuing on the, the testability part, uh, the, the other really cool thing that you can do, and f- right now this basically relies on you using NUnit over some of the other frameworks, but uh, Xamarin actually ships with test runners for iOS and Android uh, that can run NUnit light tests. So all of the, I think right now I have somewhere between two and 300 unit tests in the, the what I call app core, the, the core part of the, the framework that has all the behavior and view models mm-hmm. and persistence and all of that kind of stuff. Um, there, are, there are a few hundred unit tests in just that project. And then there's the iOS and Android versions. But all, you know, 300 of those unit tests are actually shared between iOS and Android, and I could run them on iOS and Android. So not only do you, you get the, you know, the safety of knowing that your code, you know, you run your unit tests and it works, you can also run them on the platform and make sure you're not hitting into some weird, you know, bug in Xamarin or the mono runtime or some iOS limitation and things like that. So that's pretty powerful too. So 300 that are shared, how many are unique to the platform? Um, in that level, uh, nothing actually. So like wow. my, that core layer, like this is, we're talking things that are a hundred percent platform agnostic. So these are my view models, my data persistence, uh, caching layers, um, all of the stuff that goes out and talks to the, the Olo API, the, the REST client, all of that. Nice. Um, all these things are, you know, I, maybe not a hundred, 99.9% platform agnostic. You know, the, there's always a couple things that leak in, but really not a whole lot. Um, so all of the unit tests around those are just totally shared across platform, which is to me really, really exciting. I guess the question is how much code is there that's unique to the platforms? Not, well, a lot. Um, in that layer, there's not much. So like one of the, one of the things you see kind of touted around a lot when, when people are kind of looking at Xamarin versus other frameworks, you know, maybe like Titanium or PhoneGap or something like that. Is one of the, one of the main questions you see is, well, what, what percentage of code is shared across right. the different platforms and what percentage is native? Um, and it's kind of, in my eyes, that's kind of a broken metric. I mean, it, hmm. it's, it's along the same lines as saying, you know, and I guess this is kind of funny coming off my testing comments, but it's, it's like looking at your, your test coverage percentage on its own and saying, okay, well, this code must be good because it's 90% covered. Like to me, like the, the code sharing percentage that what say, even if, even if you only get 50 and, you know, it's a shame that this is an audio podcast because there should be air quotes around the, the yeah, only 50% because right. that's huge. Um, like it, as long as that's the right 50%, that's a huge win in my book. If those are the things that shouldn't be platform specific, then that's already a, a massive win. And most of the time that's going to be going to be a lot of the harder parts of your app, the core things that have nothing to do with iOS or Android or Windows Phone or, or anything like that. Sure. Um, and especially when you combine that with, you know, view models and, and you get a lot of behavior and navigation and stuff like that. Um, all of that gets pushed down into your your shared layer. The, the number goes up. And that, you know, you just sort of let's not breeze over that because we have been talking a lot about the testing benefits of 
MVVM cross, but but also a lot of the things that would go in the native layer get pushed into the shared layer. And that's what you were just talking about. Let's not gloss over that. Oh, no, we definitely shouldn't. Um, but that, yeah, like like I said, like when, when you're out there looking at, you know, you know, your, your code sharing percentages and stuff. I mean, it, it's just important to, you know, look at that in the context of what's in that percentage. Mm-hmm. Like I think, I think right now, like in general, my iOS apps have technically a lower share percentage than, you know, some of the other platforms even because personally, I tend to write most of my iOS UIs in code, which, you know, is going to bloat up your, the number of lines of code you have in your iOS layer. But to me, that's not really a bad thing. That's me doing what I need to do on iOS to deliver the experience I want. So it's yeah. not code that should be in the, the shared layer. Right. So, you know, just because it's not 80% as a number is, isn't really that meaningful. Sure, to me. sure. Every time we talk about MVVM Cross, and we started out talking with Stuart, and, uh, you know, he was saying, you know, startup time and learning curve, you know, you want to get yourself a couple of beers and sit down and carve out some time and um then the the next time we talked about it uh it was it was getting easier and um uh, what's the state of the learning curve for mvvm cross now i would say it, it depends a little bit on where you're coming from on your background um one of the big mistakes i i, I spent a lot of time in the the jabber room for mvvm cross trying to you know seeing people come in ask questions and trying to help and all that um, and one of the biggest mistakes I really see people doing, and mistakes in my opinion anyway, is trying to, to learn everything at once. So coming in and trying to learn iOS and Android and MVVM cross and MVVM all at once. Oh yeah. And then even if, even if you get something working, you don't really know what behavior is coming from, well, is this iOS? Sure. Is this what MVVM is adding? Is this MVVM cross? Is this Xamarin? So I think that like if you take the approach of, well, so if you have no experience on the platforms whatsoever, you know, for forget a framework like MVVM Cross for, you know, your first month or two or however long you need, you know, just go out and you, you learn, in the case of iOS, learn UI kit, learn all of the things that the platform, like the way that iOS works, because you'll never, you're never going to be abstracted away from that. Mm. So once you add in, you know, the magic of a framework like MVVM cross or any other big framework like reactive UI or something, it's just going to make things really confusing if you don't know what that's, what the magic is under the hood. Got it. Yeah. And that goes for just about any technology too, especially like you say, when you start blending things, yeah, take them one at a time. Exactly. And then, you know, and as long as you take that logical approach, then you know, once you see what MVVM does or through data binding and things like that, you'll just be like, oh, well, I, I could see exactly what it's doing behind the hood and I know what code it's saving me. And then, you know, it becomes a lot easier to do. And to the point of, you know, how to ramp up on the the framework, I'm not sure when the last time you had Stuart on, but he's over the last probably year or so, he's been doing a really good series called uh, the N plus one days of MVVM cross where he's been doing, it's basically just a YouTube video series where every episode he takes, you know, some specific task that, you might want to implement in an app. So let's say data, like data access or, you know, visibility con- value converters or something. Wow. And he'll, he'll go, he'll take like 20 minutes, 30 minutes and, you know, in video go from file new project to showing you how to do that particular task in, you know, three or four different platforms. Well, we're definitely due to talk to Stuart. It was last February. 
Oh, then you guys are definitely do. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully I'll, I'll try not to steal too much of what he would say, but I would say the, the N plus one videos are definitely a, a great place to start as you're, as you're getting going. It's, it's basically just video documentation, which is awesome. Okay. Great. This episode of The Tablet Show is brought to you by Telerik Icinium, which enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. And the best part is Icinium lets you do all of this from within Visual Studio, including comprehensive backend as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI as well as jQuery Mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities. That makes Icinium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium, with its Visual Studio extension, is available on a subscription basis and part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com slash DNR. That's I-C-E-N-I-U-M dot com slash DNR. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks and the Tablet Show. So let's talk about the architecture of Olo. Um, you, you're using Xamarin and MVVM cross. You built it from the ground up. Um, how, how's it architected in general? Right. So if you're looking at it, at it as a typical, like stacked architecture diagram or something, you know, you can imagine that, uh, at the bottom layer, there's uh, a really easy and simple REST API client that goes and talks to the Olo API and does all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically just a C, a generic C sharp. API client that we that I can use technically from any project, um, and then that's shared. That has a hundred percent code sharing across uh, iOS and Android as well. Awesome. And then on top of that is the the core, what I call the core layer that we were talking about before, that has uh, caching and configuration, um, a bunch of value converters that are shared across different um, can be shared across platforms. Uh, all the service layer and view models. So ba- all of the, the real behavior of the app and the way that it works and uh, application state management and things like that, all of that happens in this core layer that's also totally portable. Um, one of the things, as I was rebuilding the platform, um, one of the things we didn't have before that, that I consider to be critical is uh, error reporting and analytics. Like you really, mm. once your app is out there, it's really tough to know how it's being used, what problems are coming in. Like if you're not... The only, the only other, you know, method of getting feedback is bad app reviews. And that's not really where you want to be sending people. Absolutely. So one of the things I did is, uh, we baked analytics and error reporting basically right into the core part of the framework. So any error that came through that wasn't an expected error would, for one, you'd make sure that the app didn't crash because it would all be handled gracefully in the, the core layer. So the platform actually doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff. So you did a sort of asynchronous calls back to the, to the server with uh, reporting, that kind of thing? Right. So I'm actually hooking in. I'm using two different services. I, I debated writing my own. Like, like any developer, you're always like, well, should I roll my own or should I go with something else that's out there? Um, but for, for error reporting, I'm using a service called Raygun, which is pretty cool. Um, the, they support pretty much every platform under the sun from, you know, PHP and Rails to, to ASP.NET and Xamarin and all of that stuff. Cool. So I'm using them for error reporting. And then for analytics, I'm actually just using Google Analytics right now, which is free and super nice and super easy to use. Right. Um, but but the real cool thing for me is that, you know, at the core layer, I was able to abstract away all of the error handling so that when I'm working in iOS and I'm working in Android, I don't really need to think about, well, 
can I show this exception to the user? Or can I show this error? Or I got to protect myself against crashes over here. Um, a lot of that is just really just protected in the core layer. And then if it's an exception that looks kind of dangerous or, you know, it's not something that we were expecting, that'll automatically get pushed out through our error reporting systems so that we can, we can see it come in. So, so yeah, stuff like that is built into, to the app core layer. Um, and then on top of that, so I mentioned before that what this is at, in essence, is a, a white label platform. Sure. So sitting on top of app core, you have, uh, basically a, a core UI library for iOS and Android. And in those libraries is it's basically an application, but without the application itself. So. Well, basically what that means is it has, <laughs> it's kind of weird when you say it out loud. <laughs> so anything specific to branding, is that it? Uh, actually, just the opposite of that. So it would be everything in iOS except for a particular brand. So it would, it would provide, it provides hooks for, uh, for styles and, um, you know, you could set colors, you could set graphics, you could set language, you could do all of that stuff. Um, but that all gets set from the outside. But really what's in that, that shared UI layer is all of the views and all of the iOS and Android specific things. Mm. Um, so, so that's where all that can live in a way that is totally agnostic to whatever client we want to use. And then on top of that, I can sit other projects. So these are all up till now we're, we're talking class libraries. So these are all just standard class libraries for one platform or the other. Um, and then on top of that, I can sit up, stand up, um, you know, actual application projects for iOS and Android that really, um, the, the idea is to keep them as thin as possible because yeah. once you start having logic in there, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to maintain, um, and also spin up new clients and that kind of thing. And, you know, white label platforms are not for the faint of heart, I could say, but it's, it's worked out pretty well so far. And why not just go with an API? Why are you providing UI components to them? So I, we, we do that as well. So we, we kind of offer both sides of the equation and a lot of the clients that, that we're, we're working with, you know, they don't really have the resources to, to build these native apps. Um, you know, a lot of them are, you know, either up and coming chains or ones that recognize that it's actually a really big undertaking to, you know, make nice maintainable apps on, on all these different platforms. And they kind of just defer to our expertise on that. Um, but for, for bigger clients that might want to just do everything themselves or hand it out to a design firm or something like that, uh, we, we do offer the API as well. So we, right. we, we kind of go both ways. Where is the actual interface between, let's say, an iOS control, for lack of a better word, let's say it's a button, and, mm -hmm. and the command in uh, the view model? Is it directly connected through... MVVM cross is there what's what does the wiring look like there right so the way that MVVM in general works is there's there's always a layer that sits in between your your view model and your view um you know typically called a, a binding layer or you know any number of names for it but really it's just a layer that knows how to how to talk back and forth you know using the MVVM interfaces like notify property change and collection change mm -hmm. and things like that um, so that's, that is what MVVM cross provides for iOS and Android and, um, all the other platforms that it, it supports. It basically gives you the same, you know, same binding syntax and things like that. But, uh, it does the translation between a view model and, uh, what an iOS, you know, UI button knows how to do. Right. And it looks very familiar to a XAML developer, let's say. It will, it'll look more familiar on Android than it will iOS. Okay. 
So there's basically a couple ways you can go about doing uh, user interfaces on iOS. There's there's the the Apple way, which is either using Interface Builder or Storyboards. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of those, uh, I'm not really sure about Storyboards, but I, I know they're not super, they don't mesh um, all that well with MVVM um, as a whole. But I know with, with Interface Builder, it produces XML technically, but it's not the kind of XML you would ever want to look at, much less edit or maintain. <laughs> So it's <laughs> it, it's it's pretty gnarly stuff. So it's it's nothing that you ever edit by hand. So on iOS, uh, even if you're doing your UIs over on that side, you'll still end up doing your data binding using. Um, there's a lot of nice fluent syntax uh, built into MVVM Cross that let you do data binding that way. So you would say, you know, for my button, you know, dot bind. Yeah, that kind of thing. Spoke, spoken word isn't the best IDE yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, no, but, I get it. <laughs> but you'll you'll have a nice fluent syntax. But then over on on the Android side, you you could use that. So that that kind of syntax is available across the board. But you can also um, on Android, you know, like any other Java platform, there's there's just a, a crapload of XML. So. Sure. Most of your layouts will be defined in XML, and you can actually use data binding right through that XML, which is really, really nice. So you can actually just say, well, here's my button tag and bind the click event to some command. And it'll look more or less like it does in XAML. Very, very cool. How often are you shipping new versions out to your customers? So um, historically, not that often, but that's part of the the idea of this rewrite of you know getting to a, a point where we we have a platform that we can maintain and iterate on uh, as fast as possible with you know a, a large amount of clients. Ideally, uh, on the on the old platform, we 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 just ran into a lot of problems with that, so we weren't really able to iterate and maintain quite like we wanted to. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen at this point how often we're going to be shipping, but. The, the idea is that we'll be able to do it basically as fast as we need to or want to. And, of course, you're limited by the store, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, all this stuff is published through, you know, the official channel, so through Apple or through Google. And with Google, you can publish whenever you want, how often you want, you know, whatever you want. And it'll it'll be live within a couple hours when the search caches updates. But with, with Apple, you usually have to wait, you know, anywhere from a few days to a week or so. So on the .NET side, is C Sharp the only language you're using? Um, as far as the app code itself goes, it is. Um, but, but that actually lends, lends well into another kind of thing that I wanted to bring up. And that, uh, one thing that, you know, is, is super important to anyone that's in, uh, you know, a bigger dev team or something is continuous integration. And it's not historically, it, it's been something that you haven't seen a whole lot of conversation around in, in mobile all that often, but it's been picking up a lot of steam. Um, but for me, when we were building this platform, you know, CI is, you know, it was super important to me. Like if it builds on my machine and my machine alone, that that's not really all that good of a verification step. Um, and it also doesn't, you know, that, that relies on me running the unit tests every time and keeping up on it, which is, you know, probably not going to happen. So one of, one of my goals from the onset of, of starting this was being able to set up, uh, set up all of our iOS and Android builds and the core builds and all of that running through our, our existing team city server you know, along with the rest of our platform builds. And that's actually something I was able to to achieve without too much effort, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, I won't go into like the, the exact commands that you need because, you know, again, uh, yeah. you know, a spoken word it's isn't a, a great show. console either. But, <laughs> uh, but, but Xamarin actually has a, a bunch of guides that they recently put up. Um, so the timing on this is actually really good. That, that talks about how to get going with iOS and Android builds and even how to hook in, you know, test cloud and things like that. Um, 
But to your question before, I actually, one of the, there was a library that I really wanted to experiment with called Fake, which is, um, you know, like most libraries that end in AKE, it's, you know, a, you know, a make system in, this one's in F sharp. Right. Um, and F sharp for me has been historically, you know, it's a language I've always played with. I play with it for like a month or two at a time and then leave it for like six months <laughs> and come back and realize I've forgotten everything that I ever knew about <laughs> it. And, you know, start the process over. And then that's continued for probably three or four years now. So I decided that it was finally time to, you know, have some actual code that I have to keep around so that I, I don't just keep forgetting all this stuff. Um, and it also looked like a really nice build system. So I'm using that library for, for a few different things in, in our platform. For one, I'm using it for uh, just a standard build. So, you know, the commands that say build the iOS app for channel foo or um, you know, build the Android app for, for that channel. Um, but I'm also using it for, since you can, you can run, you know, it runs mono or .NET. It can, I can run it on Windows or, or Mac, which already is a big win. Um, but I, you can also pull in NuGet packages and, and things like that. So I'm actually using things like the liquid templating engine and, you know, a couple other libraries as part of it as, uh, just to run all the scaffolding that I need for generating project files and things like that. So, I was able to turn it into a, a, a pretty cool, you know, command line system essentially to to say, okay, well, I need to I need to generate the language files for this client, or I need to generate an iOS app for this client, and that kind of thing. Mm. Basically, what Fake has done is they provided they took F Sharp, so you're using F Sharp kind of, you know, throughout the whole thing. Um, but at, a, at the, its very basic level, they used F Sharp which is it lends itself really well to writing DSLs on top of the language. Right. So they wrote, what they did is they wrote a really nice build syntax DSL on top of F sharp so that basic build scripts become really, really readable and maintainable. And it's actually quite nice to look at and, and use. And it definitely beats, you know, what you would see from Nant or something like that, which just, you know, turns into giant XML files, or you could use, you know, PowerShell, but I, I tend to avoid PowerShell whenever I can personally. Sure. <laughs> So MVVM is great. MVVM cross is great. There's always gotchas. What uh, what were some of the issues that you ran into? Right. So you know the the first one as we we talked about was the learning curve. Um, mm. But at this point, I've been using it for for a while, and the framework has actually matured a lot over the time that that I've been using it. So it's getting a lot easier. Um, but one of the things that I actually I, I hit pretty hard when I was doing my iOS stuff um, and even the Android stuff too is just navigation. So in the, you know, navigation when you're doing basic stuff is super simple. But then I found in the apps that we were building, I wanted a lot of control over the the navigation stack and the back stack, mm. as it were. So I wanted the ability to say, oh, well, when you execute this command, well, you should clear out all the views that are behind it and then go to the next view or, mm. you know, go, go back a few views um, to this other view in the back stack and things like that. Yeah. Um, and that... That's where you start to get into some muddy water, both on iOS and Android in, in different fashions. So just as a, a more concrete example of that. So in my view models, I have, there's a, you know, that's where all the navigation happens. And there's a lot of, um, I use a lot of pub sub th uh, between view models to kind of communicate back and forth and say, when something happens over on this view model, it publishes a message to another one that, you know, could possibly trigger a navigation or maybe, maybe when, you know, one view model loads, it says, oh, I'm not really needed and I should close myself or some, it's something like that. That seems pretty kludgy, but I, that's pretty much par for the course when you're doing MVVM, isn't it? Uh, I would think so. I, I, I will be the first to admit that 
Um, the, the MVVM cross stuff I built is my only real exposure to MVVM. So I'm not coming from like a Silverlight background or anything like that. Yeah. But for me, it, I, that was, you know, cause you need your view models to be mostly separate. Um, but there has to be some sort of communication mechanism between them. Right. Um, but then once you translated that, that kind of model to iOS, uh, it, it turns out that the nav, so the main, um, navigation method in iOS is, it's a class called UI navigation controller. And if you've used, uh, iOS before, you know, it's, it's the standard control that you see that, you know, you have a screen and you have your back button and in iOS 7, you can kind of like swipe to go back. Right. That's all baked into this navigation controller class. And it turns out that if you start trying to do a navigation while it's in the middle of an animation for another one, mm. it basically puts your app into this awful state where it's not crashed yet. But the <laughs> next time you hit you hit anything, it will crash. Uh, so it's basically <laughs> it's uh, basically just like adding insult to injury of like, yeah, you're about to go down. Yeah. So Any last words. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like a cigarette, old man? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So I, I ended up having to do a bunch of work of. And, I, and I'm hoping to open source this this soon or contribute it back to MVVM cross directly or, or something like that, because I can't imagine that I'm the only one to, to run into this problem. But what I ended up having to do was was actually send all of my iOS navigations through, you know, a kind of buffer that knows when something is in the middle of, tra- you know, being transitioned into or out of and and kind of just do one after the other so that it doesn't interfere with uh, with the animations there and that kind of. That saved my bacon there, but it was it was a pretty hard one to run into. But it just sort of waits and makes sure the transition is finished and then moves. Exactly, yeah. So from a user perspective, it looks pretty good and you'll get nice smooth animations. But just coming from the view model layer, you never really know, at least in my system, you don't really know how many are about to stack up. So I needed to have some protection in there. And then on the Android side, I had uh, Android doesn't really give you a, a great way of even accessing that backstack. Right. So I uh, there's a bunch of magic I ended up doing in there where I'm maintaining sort of like a shadow backstack every time I push something just so I can, you know, know how often to to pop and push and things like that. So that right. was you know, that's that's one of those things where the the platform you still have to know how the platform works and you still have to sometimes your the abstraction you're taking at the core layer like using MVVM and view models can actually, you know, exacerbate certain problems, but you know, on, on the whole, I would say MVVM cross and the pattern and all this stuff in general saved me far more time than, you know, the the maybe year or so of, you know, life insanity that these bugs took took out of me. So I think it's a it's a net win overall. And then early on in this conversation, you're talking about like, you really do need to understand the platforms. But I guess that question is, how far do you have to go? Do I have to build a native app before I no longer need to build native apps? I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't say that you you ever need to like, go out and build the entire app that you're looking to build natively and then pull back. Right. I, I just think it's, it's, and like Carl said earlier, I, this applies to really anything, any new framework or platform that you're trying to learn. Um, I, there's only so much you're going to abstract away that platform. And you really need to know really like the idioms of how iOS or Android handles lifecycle and navigation and, and screens and, you know, rotation and all this kind of stuff. Like it's still, you're still going to be susceptible to all the the gotchas in there. So, right. you know, spending spending some time just getting up to speed on even the basics, just so you understand what the frameworks are doing on top of that, um, it's it's going to get you a, a long way. Mm-hmm. And the challenging part is really getting the differences in those paradigms. They do have different approaches 
to the way their software works. And that has to be manifest in something like Xamarin. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Xamarin isn't, they're not even trying to abstract away that platform for you. They're just handing it to you in another language. Right. So, you know, you're, you're still susceptible to all that stuff. But in my mind, that's, that's all a good thing. Like it's not, it's when you start abstracting the platform that you start, like once you run into those problems in a, when you're in an abstracted platform or uh, an abstracted framework, then you don't even always have a way of getting around that problem or fixing it. I mean, you're, right. you're completely relying on that abstraction. Uh, and that, that just kind of falls apart in my experience. Well, and you won't even have any visibility into it sometimes, too. It's failing. I just don't know why. Right. And you can't do anything about it. <laughs> Greg, do you have a wish list? And by that, I don't mean like, you know, that this bug was fixed or that bug was fixed. But, it, you know, if you could do things differently and maybe uh, redesign any any part of this whole system that you're using. And, I mean, I have a, a huge wish list of what I want to put into the app. Yeah. Um. Those those wouldn't be things that I could really say publicly yet, but hopefully they'll be pub- public features. I don't <laughs> necessarily mean for the app. I mean for MVVM Cross and, oh, and Xamarin Cross. tools or any of the tools that you're using. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I, I would really love to see just on the Xamarin side is better better unit testing support. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they ship with pretty good, like decent, um, as I was mentioning earlier, the, the end-unit light runners, but... Um, one of the things, one of my like projects that's been on, you know, in the back of my mind for, you know, at least a year now, and I just never have the time to even spike on it is I would love to have, say, like a, an X unit test runner, um, or, you know, maybe a more generic test runner that can run on iOS and Android or even written in something like MVVM cross. Um, and just one that, that has really nice hooks for CI and things like mm. that. Um, cause again, like I said, I'm, I'm super, you know, gung ho about testing, especially in the the mobile the mobile sense. So I would love to see kind of more buy in um, and just better support for other frameworks than NUnit, which is kind of showing its age these days. Yeah. Well, very good, Greg. Thank you very much. Wow, it's you know it's so cool just to talk to somebody who's got all of this stuff out in the market and working and uh, a, a real test case. Well, thanks for having me on. And, um, you know, shameless plug for, for Olo. And if, uh, if any of this sounds interesting, we are hiring mobile engineers. So you can come help me build all this cool stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> sounds like a fun place to work, especially with, Absolutely. with Greg Shackles. Come on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, br- I'll bring in homebrew for you. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite kind of homebrew? What's your favorite type uh, of beer? That's, it changes day to day. I mean, lately I've been on a, a bit of like a sour beer kick. Really? Because uh, those, those are always interesting, but it's, it's tough to find good ones. What's a but, sour beer? Uh, we can do a whole show on this probably too, but it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and I'm happy to. Um, I, it's, it's kind of what it sounds like, but it, it, it's, it tastes better than what you might be imagining. I don't think I've ever heard of a sour beer. They're, they're not super common in the U.S. Um, a lot of craft, uh, craft breweries and, Especially the smaller micro ones are starting to pick up on it a lot more. Hmm. Um, but it's kind of what it sounds like. It just uses, uh, there's like types of wild yeast that are out there that you can use, uh, very carefully in your beer that it's almost like a fermentation flaw yeah, sure. that you just, you, you just harness to, to get a really nice, like sour flavor out of something without skunking it. Almost like a wine, perhaps? Closer to a Almost wine? like if you know, uh, if you've had lambics before. Oh, um, yeah. You know, it's kind of in that route, but without necessarily being as sweet or fruity. Okay. Um, but the same kind of realm. Wow. You're serious, man. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, you sound just as moody about beer as we are about scotch. About bourbon and scotch. Yeah. That's oh, right. Well, 
<laughs> I'm with you with bourbon and scotch too. So, all right. Well, I will <laughs> do it all. I will lift a glass in your honor, my friend. Thank you. Cheers, guys. All right. Thanks again, Greg. We'll see you next time on the Tablet Show. It's not too much, but it means a lot. Just try.